0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology Nara. We are going to dig into the Old Testament for this conversation. In particular, we're going to look at Genesis 1 and its relationship to science. How old is the earth? Um, how does evolution fit into the creation account? Um, are the days of Genesis 1 literal? And on and on it goes. Tremper Longman, Tremper, Dr. Tremper Longman third is one of the top... Evangelical scholars in the country today He used to teach at Westminster Theological Seminary And also Westmont College in California And is just absolutely brilliant The dude has written more books than I've read And I'm talking about like high-powered, academic, engaging, thorough, thoughtful books Uh, His specialty, which we don't get into, is on love poetry in the ancient Near East. He has written the definitive, I think, the definitive commentary on the Song of Songs. But we don't get into that. We just talk about Genesis 1, science and creation. Tremper is my go-to guy because he is thoroughly committed to the authority of scripture. And yet he is also thoroughly um, aware of outside Um, Things like science and how we should pay attention to both special revelation and general revelation. Um, And then we're going to do another podcast where we discuss specifically the historicity of Adam. Okay, so for this episode, we're talking about creation and the age of the earth. For the next episode with Tremper, we're going to talk about the historicity of Adam is Adam an actual historical figure that every single human being come from Adam. Um, how does that square with the human genome project led by Francis Collins and other scientific issues that seem to present some issues with the way Genesis one to three presents human origins. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theology the Support the show for as little as two, no, not two, five bucks a month. And you can give two bucks a month. You're just not going to get anything for it. Um, But if you give five bucks a month, you can get once a month podcasts. Uh, 10 bucks a month gives you a podcast and a blog a month. Uh, $25 a month gives you two podcasts and a blog a month. It's all behind a paywall. Um, Let's see. Oh yeah. If you would like to check out this conversation on YouTube, you can go to my YouTube channel, Press and Sprinkle um, and subscribe to the channel. And a lot of these podcasts, the last several podcasts that I've been releasing uh, were previously released on my YouTube channel because a lot of people like YouTube and they don't watch, listen to podcasts. A lot of people listen to podcasts. They don't watch YouTube. So I am trying to produce this material on both Platforms. So if you hear us reference YouTube, you hear us reference a visual. Um, I think Trumper did hold up one of his books uh, during the filming. So you can go to my YouTube channel and check out what book that was. Okay, without further ado, please welcome to the show for the first time, my friend and mentor from a distance, the one and only Dr. Trumper Longman III. friends i'm here with my friend uh tremper longman um me and tremper go back several years i'll I'll never forget having you come out to eternity bible college you drove down from santa barbara and taught a class on the the song of songs which was interesting (laughs) you know you didn't hold back anything man and, and our students really appreciated it um so yeah if you guys don't know who tremper is i mean i would consider uh tremper i mean i i don't know if i've ever told you this but i mean at least one of the top evangelical old testament scholars of our of our day you, you might you're you're humble and you'll, you'll probably resist that but i i mean yeah tremper's written just dozens of books like high quality books and w- whenever i have question hard questions about the old testament i i mean you're kind of my go-to because you have a very high view of scripture and yet you don't have an overly like literal literal uh yeah, uh, no, I'll say an overly like fundamentalist approach to scripture while maintaining um a very high view of scripture knowledge of, you have a vast knowledge of the science in the bible and how that intersects. So let's start there. Um well first of all, thanks for having thanks
1: for coming on my show, Trevor. Hey, Preston, It's my pleasure. It's great to see you again. <laughs> it's been a while. So I, both.
0: yeah. I know it has yeah. been a while. Um so um I yeah, I just been wrestling with several uh, things related to the Bible and science. I am not knowledgeable in this area. I mean, I've read a couple things here and there, but I just need help navigating this whole uh, old earth, young earth debate. So why don't we start? Wh- where do you come out? Uh, how would you describe your view of science and creation? And then we'll just start going through kind of the top questions that often come up.
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, first of all, like you, I have a caveat, which is I'm not a scientist. You know, I'm, yeah. I am a biblical scholar who has worked in this area and thought about these issues and have been in conversation with really some of the leading Christian scientists mm-hmm. in the world and uh, through interaction at the BioLogos Foundation and uh and the AAAS uh, Science for Seminaries program, and other ways, it's been a great uh, opportunity to interact with world-class scientists. Uh, so, um, but where I come down, maybe I'll just say where I come down on the old Earth, young Earth, and then we could go from there as to why. But I, I'm very solidly in the old Earth that the that the universe is what. Something like 14.2 billion years old, and the Earth is 4.2 billion years old, mm-hmm. um, and so um, and and I don't see any conflict between the Bible and science on this matter. Okay, okay. Well, uh, so let's just why don't we start with. Um...
0: Science or Bible, let's start with the science. Um, okay. Would you say right. that, that, that the, the age of the earth, age of the universe, the stats you gave, is that, would you consider that a more or less consensus? I mean, um, you know, we could, I almost use the analogy of like, you know, that the earth is round, you know, but yeah, right. we also have a flat earth society or, you know, yeah, <laughs> so there's always, obviously there's always going to be exceptions, but is the age of the earth much of a debate among scientists, these days? I mean, um... no,
1: it's, it's not a debate at all. Okay. I mean, uh, don't ask me to name them all. Right. Uh, there are uh, something like 12, 13, 14 different lines of evidence, scientific evidence that support the, these views, things like various types of radiometric dating, um, you know, uh, as well as, you know, uh, Measuring the distance where we get, I think the 14.2. I may be off on that yeah. by a few hundred million, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, but I think that um, you know, in terms of how f- the furthest celestial light that is hitting the Earth, mm-hmm. uh, they're able to measure that, and unless you take the view that. God created the earth to look old and there are those who do that or that God created the stars with the light
0: yeah. touching,
1: uh, which I think is both unnecessary and uh, and and kind of imputes to God the idea that he's going to give us a false impression of reality. Huh. OK. And, and, I, and I think that's something important to uh, highlight here. Uh, the Bible is God's most clear and specific self-disclosure to us revelation to be sure but he also reveals to uh reveals himself to us through nature right mm-hmm. so uh psalm 8 romans 20, i think it is and the belgic confession talks about you know what commonly is called a two-book theology mm-hmm. so uh I think what that means is when we look at nature, we can find out true things about God and about creation itself and that God is not going to mislead us in nature any more than he's going to mislead us in scripture. And so, um, so, you know, I, I, I will often uh, Pope John Paul II has a great quote, um, which is, uh, that science can refine religion, while religion keeps science from idolatry and false absolutes. Hmm. You know, so so to me, what he's saying is sometimes science can help us read the Bible better. <laughs> right. Yeah. Witness the Galileo moment. You know, hmm. um, which is more complicated than the church versus secular science but mm-hmm. still uh, there were some theologians who felt that the bible taught that the world was the center of the cosmos right. and resisted the science and the science at the time of galileo about that was less confident than the science about either the age of the earth or mm-hmm. as we'll talk about maybe another time yeah. uh evolution there's a lot more evidence in favor of the age of the Earth and evolution than there was at the time of Galileo for um, the fact that the Earth isn't the center the right. unmoved mover center of the cosmos. Well, let's you just mentioned evolution and the phrase
0: if I remember it right that you prefer is you're an <laughs> evolutionary creationist. Or Correct. Ev- yeah. Can you unpack? Right. Uh, yeah, pl- uh, unpack yeah. that for us and uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it used to be referred to more often as theistic evolution. But the reason why many of us prefer evolutionary creationism is because we want to emphasize the fact that we're creationists. We believe God created everything, including human beings. Um, we, We just don't think that while the Bible does tell us that God created everything, and got, including human beings, uh, it's not telling us how he did it. Okay. Uh, and I could get into why I think that's the obvious and right conclusion. But for that reason, we can, you know, look at science and, uh, and it's particularly, uh, you know, I'm not saying that whenever some scientific theory arises that it's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And, Uh, But what I am saying is when there is a incredible consensus of scientific thinking uh, over a long period of time Mm -hmm. uh, that the church ought to be attentive to it and and uh, and not immediately in a kind of knee jerk reaction say that can't be right. Because the Bible teaches otherwise. So what would be Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah. <laughs> what
0: are what are some? If you can get inside inside of the person who would hear so far, everything you're saying is have major like problems with that, biblically speaking. What are some of the main pushbacks biblically to uh, your view about the age of the Earth and um, and just the, even the idea that evolution is part of the means by which God is used to create the world and and humanity.
1: Sure. Um, I'll be prejudicial when I respond to this. Uh, The main pushback arises out of a faulty reading of scripture. Okay. A, a, a lack of recognition of what Genesis one through three, and perhaps also the genealogies when it comes to the age of the earth issue, uh, what they're trying to teach us, um, and reads it in the, and tends to read these texts as if they were written in the 21st century, A, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. B, very woodenly, without any kind of Appropriate literary or historical sensitivity. Um, so, so as you know, I'm talking about issues of genre. Recognizing that the Bible uh, was written to an ancient audience in a language, Hebrew, and with uh, styles and means of communication that were familiar to them. Um, so, so. Uh, to understand, and maybe it's just one example, um, you know, the fact that as you read Genesis 1 and 2, mm-hmm. uh, you you should be struck by the highly figurative nature of the description of the creation of the cosmos and human beings. Let me give you two examples. Yeah. The first one is the fact that You have days in Genesis 1, uh, but the sun, moon, and stars aren't created till day 4, which then should, in a sensitive reader, uh, signal to you that we're not talking about 24-hour days because you need a sun, moon, and stars to have Mm -hmm. a 24-hour day. Uh, And I'm aware of some of the, and I think they're very desperate attempts to say (laughs) things like, well, it's really talking, the sun, moon, and stars were created on day one, light and darkness. Yeah. Uh, but on day four, the clouds disappeared. You could see the sun, moon, and stars from the earth. And you kind of go, who's on the earth at this time? That, that would have that perspective. Or the other one is, yeah, there's some other form of light that God kind of switches on and off in a 24-hour period. Um, so um. So I, I think... And then, of course, there's also a lack of sensitivity to the kind of parallelism between the first three days, which talk about the creation of realms that are filled by the inhabitants of those realms in days, uh, you know, four through six. So the sun, moon, and stars fills the realm of light and darkness. The fish and birds fill the realm of mm. the sky and the waters. The uh, land animals and the, uh, human beings fill the filled, uh, the realm described on day three, which is land. Um, and then, you know, combine that with the fact that there's a lack of what I call sequence concord between Genesis one and Genesis two, that has often been, that has been observed widely, um, where you have, for instance, the creation of vegetation after the creation of the first human being, there's some interesting, you know, all translations are interpretive. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm not being critical of the principle here, but I find that versions like the ESV and the NIV and even the NLT, which I was most closely involved with, tends to do a little bit of harmonization by use of verbal tense, There, that isn't the most natural reading of the Hebrew. Okay. Most people, so so it's it's an intentional kind of harmonization to try to gain more sequence concord than I think and most scholars think is really there. But then the second example. Oh, and by the way, while I'm on the days, (laughs) let me let me quickly point out that this is an ancient view. You know, it's not like people have noticed this for the first time because people are talking about the age of the earth. I mean, scholars like Augustine and Origen uh, also recognize that the days were not literal 24-hour days. Um, Augustine says, of course, these aren't solar days. And Origen said, who would be so foolish as to think that these days are 24 hour days, uh, when you don't even have a sun, moon, and stars until, so I'm just making, I'm just making, I'm, I'm making the case that has been made since the early church about this. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, and then the other, another example of what I think is an obvious figurative depiction of an actual event. Again, the actual event is God created human beings but it's depicted in Genesis 2 7 uh, by describing him taking some of the dust of the ground and breathing on it. Mm-hmm. And and of course, we know, you know, God doesn't have lungs. Uh, so you have to, you know, but then there are other people that say, well, you know, this is Jesus. And I'm going, wait a minute, Jesus became flesh at the time of the incarnation, A. And secondly, no Old Testament reader would have ever understood that way so um so um and when it comes to genealogies you know and that's how the young earth is often constructed by adding up genesis five you know uh first of all people mistakenly read the um Ancient genealogies, as if they are modern genealogies. You don't skip generations. You know, my my uh, my wife's stepfather insisted that I become a member of various organizations like the Sons of the American Revolution. So he had to provide a genealogy for me. He also made me a life member because he knew I'd never pay for it. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, But, you know, you can't skip a generation, et cetera, et cetera. But if you study ancient genealogies, and we have some from Babylon, et cetera, they're they're much more flexible in many different ways than modern genealogies, including skipping generations. And and, uh, uh, genealogies serve different functions in the ancient world than it did in the modern world. And so... uh, uh, you know, B.B. Warfield and Timothy Green, his associate at uh, Princeton Theological Seminary in the 19th century, particularly Timothy Green, has a really good. And I mentioned that because they're kind of, you know, Warfield's considered the architect of the modern doctrine of inerrancy mm-hmm. and uh, Green Agrees with that view, but Green points out as he compares different genealogies, like genealogies in Genesis with uh, comparable genealogy in Ezra, mm-hmm. that that generations can be skipped. So, mm-hmm. so all those things lead me to say the Bible is really not interested in telling us when everything began. Yeah. And yeah. so, because of that, we can say well. What is as we look and study nature? What does that tell us? What What about the phrase
0: the 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 repetition of evening and morning? Like I've heard people say, and and honestly, I it sounds like a good argument. Even if everything you said is is correct, that this <laughs> emphasis on evening and morning seems to really drive home this idea of we're talking about a literal oh. day here. Oh yeah.
1: Well, I. Uh, let me it's a little, in my opinion, a little bit more complicated, a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, again, there's no question but twenty uh, four hour days are being described there uh, evenings and mornings. But because of the fact you don't have sun, moon, and stars, you can't have an actual historical evening and morning for the first three days. So what's going on is, I believe, and so did Herman Bobbing, by the way. I like to cite these old... Uh, <laughs> these old reform guys. <laughs> old reform guys. Um, you know, it's 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 taking a literal week in order to describe the creation, and uh, but it's using a literal week in a metaphorical way. <laughs> okay. It's not saying God did it in six days and rest on the seventh Is saying let's take a work week and let's use that as a figure of speech to communicate the fact that god created everything uh-huh. and then rest so um so um john collins i don't know whether you know yeah. him uh jack john uh the one that teaches at covenant seminary has a uh, a really good presentation of uh, I think it's called the analogical days view which he accepts um, and he's the one who cites Bob Inc. that's how I know Bob Inc held <laughs> <killed> it <laughs>
0: <laughs> well what, what, okay, I guess this you might have already answered it but the, the other thing often here is that you know the Sabbath command which is uh-huh. a literal day in Deuteronomy Exodus is built on the creation account. Right. So, um, since, since the author of those laws are talking about a literal Sabbath and a literal work week, therefore, um, we can assume he's drawing on a literal week of creation. How would you respond to that? Is that another big argument you often hear in favor of? A younger- yeah. Well, yeah.
1: You know, yeah. That is a, a, an argument. And, and, you know, these arguments have some punch to them to be sure. Um, and, uh, but I, because of course, um, I always forget whether it's Exodus or Deuteronomy in the Ten Commandments that appeals back to the creation as a mandate. I think often, though, these appeals back are not are are appealing back to the story in order to communicate a theological truth. Again, there's history in Genesis one to eleven. Um, I call it theological history. Um, where it talks about historical events using figurative language. Okay. So, but there's real history behind it. Like God created the cosmos, like, Mm -hmm. uh, like um, when human beings were first created, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later, perhaps uh, they were morally innocent, like, There was also uh, what I would call a historical fall, you know, that human beings uh, rebelled against God. And that's what introduced sin and death into the world. God didn't make us. and we only learned this, by the way, that that's where the other half of um, Pope John Paul's comment comes in about how the Bible keeps us from idolatry and false absolutes, Mm -hmm. we learn important things that we can't learn from science from the Bible. Things like we could never learn from science, from observation or experience that there was a time when human beings created in the image of God were morally innocent. Okay. Uh, Or – that there was a historical fall. And I mentioned that because uh, a friend, a, a very, very close friend of mine, former student, colleague, uh, drinking buddy, <laughs> uh, Peter End, um, you know, wrote a book called The Evolution of Adam, where he says essentially uh, science – precludes the idea of original moral innocence or historical fall and i say no that's uh, that's an incorrect capitulation it's not a capitulation to science it's a misuse mm. of science mm. i think and, and by the way i'll have to promote it in this book confronting old testament controversies okay. pressing questions about evolution sexuality history and violence oh, wow. which by the way no, you haven't seen that. this yet
0: i haven't seen that i need to get a copy of that
1: and here sure. Preston, the huh? violence. <laughs> <laughs> we appeal to your vanity to finally get it. <laughs> but, but but the book is largely a loving pushback toward some uh, prim, primarily uh, you know of, of Pete's ideas on evolution, but also a loving pushback against young earth creationism in the evolution part. Okay. And, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so that's, um, I forgot how we got yeah. there. I've lost. My no, no, it's fine. Yeah. So, um, in, in, in uh, promoting my book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, here's a, I, I have a question that I, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to word this. Um, Let's let's flip it around. Well, it's kind of a twofold question. Number one, do you think the author of uh, Genesis one and two um, was trying to get at a literal? Like, do you think he believed it was literal? Or do you think, right. or do you think he or she um, just wasn't even didn't even have that question in mind? Would be another. And, and right. well, let's just start there, and then I've got another kind of related question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sure. Um, well, let me let me answer that. At least to start by saying, when I make a claim about what a text means, yeah i'm I'm making a I'm making a claim about what the author intended, right, okay, yeah, so so, yeah, so when I say the I, I, I would put it more bluntly then by saying the author does not want us to read Genesis okay. one to two to try to discover how god created creation mm-hmm. and how do we, we how do we know that we can't get into the author's right. mind of course uh, but kevin van hooser also a former student by the way back in westminster <laughs> days pete and kevin <laughs> um kevin van hooser has this great book uh is there a meaning in this text and right. and he talks about authorial intention uh not as it's often conceived as trying to get into the mind of the author because we have no independent access to the author's right. intention except through the text. So we're analyzing, uh, the author's, uh, you know, writing in order to make hypotheses about what the author intended his readers to understand. So, yeah. So I guess basically to answer your question, uh, my claim is that um, that uh, the author of Genesis uh, is really intent on praising God for creating everything, for creating human beings, um, and my, many other things. Also, telling us very important things about our create our relationship to creation, our relationship to each other. Um, but what it's not interested in, and and you know, I think it's a fair point to say that the author wasn't interested in this topic is how. Is how. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. and so um so yeah. Yeah.
0: That's <laughs> so the, so the follow-up question is let's let's flip it around and and say that the overwhelming scientific evidence was for a young earth. Let's just, let's just let's yeah. picture that world for a second, that almost sure. every scientist on earth said, man, this world was created six to 10,000 years ago. The science is overwhelming. Do you think that would change the way you read Genesis or, <laughs> or would you say yeah. like, well, yeah, obviously the Bible agrees with that. Or would you say, man, now we have a, a conflict in the other direction because the Bible clearly is not yeah. talking about a young earth or do you or, or, well, yeah, I'll let you finish. Okay. I think I know what you're gonna say. Oh, that's
1: a really good I got I, I I really like that question. I think that's right, because uh or even let's talk about what if evolution turns out to be a false hypothesis. Right. Uh so would uh scientists affirming um a uh, a young earth would scientists saying no uh, evolutions of false hypothesis, would that change my view of yeah. Genesis? And yeah. the answer is clearly, absolutely not. Okay. See, <laughs> my point is that the Bible's not interested okay. in talking about these issues. So, in other words, I'm not what is commonly called a concordist. A concordist is somebody who thinks that you can actually uh, discern modern scientific ideas right. in the Bible. Uh, like you, uh, Ross uh, of Reasons to Believe is probably the most well-known concordist today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll talk about Psalm 104, where it says God stretches out the heavens, and he goes, see, it teaches the Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I, it, it,
1: to me, no. That's yeah, a me- that sounds ten- fishy. <laughs> That's a tent metaphor. So don't look... It, Look at the Bible to, um, you know. You know, and and, and it's tempting because you want to say, "Hey, look, uh, the Bible was written thousands, hundreds, thousands of years ago, and we just discovered this uh, seventy-five years ago—the Big Bang theory." Yeah, that must yeah. be. Therefore, the Bible must be of divine origin, you know. Yeah, because only God could have had that perspective. Or um, yeah, so, but but those are, in my opinion, uh, mistaken apologetic uses of the Bible. Uh, just like that, that's also a problem I have with the intelligent design uh, movement, which is they sort of trade on gaps in our scientific knowledge mm-hmm. and say. Science will never explain this, mm-hmm. and therefore that's the finger of God. Mm-hmm. The problem with those types of apologetic arguments is all too often down the road, uh, science does discover, yeah. <laughs> you know, an explanation for it. Um, and famously, William Pat Paley, at the end of the 18th century, said, "Look at the rainbow." Look at the rainbow. No one can scientifically describe how the rainbow appears. And notice in Genesis nine, God puts the rainbow in the sky. Yeah. This is, and of course, you know, we can sort of explain the rainbow. Much, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So for you, that it's not—you wouldn't say that the the Bible argues for, or even um, right. is trying to say the Earth is old, or yeah, it's like it just doesn't. It's just not interested in that. So, yeah, so the sci- think... it really depends on this because the overwhelming evidence of the science says it's this age. The Bible allows for both. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 So they're compatible. Yeah. That, that's what I mean by they're compatible. Okay. Yeah. Um, and by the way, on, on this matter, uh, let me see. I, I quote Calvin in here. Really, I think, uh, uh, in, uh, something that I think modern christians um should heed mm-hmm. um sorry it's gonna
0: you get getting it all just... your all your reformed
1: uh <laughs> reformed, guys yeah yeah um so between you and me i consider myself very soft reform these days <laughs> yeah
0: that's about where i'm at that's about where i'm yeah. at yeah Yeah, I just I haven't been interested in some of the classic questions in traditional like reform. Traditional, I would say, you know, 20th, late 20th century reform debates and stuff. I just and and not and not that there's not valid issues they're wrestling with. I just personally haven't been that interested in those. But um,
1: I agree. I agree. I'm having trouble coming up with this quote. But basically what he said, well, let me let me try it. Well, ask me another question. I'll find it. Come back to it. (laughs) okay
0: okay okay um so what do you think is well i mean we might have already covered it what do you think is the strongest argument in favor of the young earth um you know is it would you see the evening and morning repetition like if you were gonna if yeah (laughs) if you're on stage in a debate or something what is what's that one main main argument where it's like i'm gonna have a, a little tougher
1: time kind of
0: refuting this one in a convincing manner or is there one? <laughs> Oh
1: no well i yeah i to be honest i don't think there is a real strong argument to be made in favor of young earth creationism um but the question you asked about the sabbath would probably is okay. probably the most difficult one um well,
0: I, actually let me so can, can we make a distinction between the literal day question Versus the age of the Earth, I, I think I read. Um, is it John? I think John Lennox in his little book oh, yeah. right. says these are often conflated together, but they're kind of two different questions, and it might come down to the relationship between Genesis, what one one and one two and following. I forget yeah. the precise nature of it, but he said we can't just eat, you know you can't just lump them all together. Would you Would you agree with that? That I mean, you could in theory could have a literal, well. Maybe it's the maybe it's the age of the universe. You can have the age of the universe really old, but if you believe in a literal twenty-four hour day, you kind of have to have a little a young Earth. Or how do you see the relationship?
1: Well, to be honest, I hadn't thought about it, but when you mention it, I think you can probably divide those questions um, into two different questions. I mean, I can imagine an old Earth, and of course, there's. There's so many different permutations of various viewpoints, but I think one of them is uh, that there are periods of time between the days, even. Uh, I forget the technical term. Okay. That.
0: okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, we have to... Um, I'm, we're going to close this one out, but we, I want to come back and talk to you uh, in another video about uh, the historicity of Adam because we haven't even what? really... We're just kind of lingering in Genesis 1, so let's... Um, yeah, let's uh, save some energy. We'll talk about Adam maybe in a, a shorter video. This one went a l- little longer than I intended. Um, so the the for my watch, my viewers and listeners. So we're going to come back and talk about whether or not Adam is a historical figure, and also just the nature of the Garden of Eden and how much of this is myth, how much of its history. Um, I know these are live questions, so thanks so much yeah. for joining me on the show, Tremper. Thank you, Preston. Yeah. I know some of you did not agree with Trumper's perspective and that's okay. I hope that you still enjoyed hearing uh, the perspective of an evolutionary creationist. I like that he put the emphasis on creation, quite honestly. Um, I still, I still have questions about it. I have not engaged the scientific material. I will say, as I uh, said in this conversation or maybe it was offline, I can't remember that uh, most of the people that I respect that know um, the science of this whole conversation and also are clearly um, committed to the authority of scripture. Most people that I personally know and that I personally respect are young earth um, creationists along the lines of Trumper. They may not say everything exactly how Trumper said it, but they they would line up in the same general camp. And so that would be my kind of default position. So I do uh, I would line up with Tremper's position—I would hold that very lightly because I I don't have not done a lot of study on it. That would just be, I guess, my default position. So, whatever your position is, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, If anything, it forces all forces us all to go back to scripture, go back to science, and think what does the Bible actually say about these things? I hope you enjoyed this conversation and please do stay tuned for the next conversation with Tremper Longman, where we discuss the historicity of Adam and Eve.